Open to Second Corinthians twelve. Second Corinthians twelve, verse seven through ten. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And He has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We visited the Brashears a couple weeks ago over in Warsaw. John had asked me at dinner, what has the Lord been teaching you lately? I thought, well, if there's one thing, it's been the reality of these verses here. And then shortly after that, he told me I was preaching the next day, which I didn't know. (laughs) So I ended up preaching on these very verses. And it seemed right for the time and the season. And I think perhaps it might be right for the time and the season of some people in this church here. When I left Lake Road in 2005, I was a lot stronger than I am today. In some ways, I could think, oh, it would have been better to go overseas and do things ten years ago. I feel like now I'm leaving in great weakness. Not at the peak, but right at the valley in the bottom. But I realized too, that's where the Lord wants me. That's where I need to be. Had I gone in my own strength, God help those who I was going to try to go help. It would have been a disaster. Now I want to ask you today, this isn't just for the young people, this is for everybody here who follows the Lord, are you weak or are you strong? Are you weak today? Are you weak and God strong or are you strong and God weak in your life? It's only one way or the other. It's either in your own strength and your own labor or it's coming to the end of that and giving up on that and then it's in God's strength. Are you weak today? And the implied question to that, which is Paul's conclusion in this series of verses here in verse 10, are you well content with weakness? When we're not well content with these things, It's because we don't understand God's purpose and reason for them and we're not necessarily submitting to that purpose and reason in our life. Paul could say, based on the things that we see in verse 7-9, through Paul could come to the conclusion and say, therefore, and you know I don't need to tell the church here, therefore is very important in Paul's writings and throughout the Bible. Based on what he said before, He can say, I'm well content with these troubles, with these trials, with this weakness, with these insults, persecutions, distresses, difficulties, 
I am well content with them. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul understood through these things, this is how God actually is making him strong, through making him weak. Now that seems like a contradiction to it. What does the world say? What does the world say? Well, we're strong. We can do it. We go on our own strength. We, we would send out the person who seems the most qualified, the strongest, the best, naturally gifted in this area or that area. We would go tackle something in our life when we're at the peak of our strength and well-rested and not sick and all these things. What does God say? No, it's actually the opposite. You're stronger when you're weaker. You're weaker when you're stronger. Do we realize that? I could have stood here ten years ago and spoke out of these very verses. And theoretically, I would have known what that meant. But practically speaking, I had no idea what the Lord actually was saying in these things here. It wasn't something I had walked through until recently. I can say at least a little bit along with Paul, when I am weak, then I am strong. Until you've seen your weakness truly. Not just saying it, oh yeah, I'm going to trust in the Lord and pray and cast it upon Him. And always in the back of your mind, there might still be this self-dependence. But truly, when you are actually brought to the end of yourself and you're laying there whimpering, Lord, it's impossible. Lord, I, I can't do it. And you mean that. Not just, oh well, I read in a book that's what they said and they got answered. But where it's real, sincere weakness, then you're going to really know what this means. And you're going to enter into the reality that that is when God is strong. It has often been in recent years at the time of the weakest whimpered prayer that doesn't seem to be offered in great faith and great assurance of the Spirit, but just, Lord, help. And then you see God move and you think, oh wow, I didn't expect that. That was mighty what the Lord did. So let's look at these verses here. What's, What's actually happening with Paul, what's the context here? He'd just been speaking somewhat third person about a man who 14 years ago saw these revelations and these things, and then, well, he declares pretty clearly in verse 7 that that was him that he's talking about over there. And he says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me to keep me from exalting myself. So what was happening? Now Paul wrote 2 Corinthians many years into his ministry. Obviously he wrote 1 Corinthians after he'd been at Corinth for that year and a half and where the Lord had appeared to him and said, I have many people. Then he left there and problems arose and he wrote to them to solve it. And then he's writing this again. I don't think anyone's exactly certain on the real timeline of it, but we do know this was later on in Paul's life over here. God had already used Paul in a mighty way. He'd already gone out and he'd come back and reported to the the church what things God had done through him and and Barnabas in advancing the gospel and the work that the Lord had done amongst the Gentiles. God had given him great revelations. He says the surpassing greatness of the revelations caught up to the third heaven Similar to uh, if any of you read Sarah Edwards' experience during the uh, Great Awakening there, just the rapturous joy and the, and the 
being caught up with Christ and His glories. And she would be so caught up with it, sometimes she'd even faint at the mere mention of spiritual truth. Surpassing greatness of the revelations were what Paul had as his portion. And the Lord is mightily using him. But was Paul sinless? Was he perfect? Was he free from all temptation? No, absolutely not. Paul was used of the Lord, but he was a man like as to we are. And what was the temptation that he was facing? What was the real possibility that will happen when God uses a person to accomplish His will? We'll exalt ourself. That was Paul's trouble. God looked at Paul and said, he's in danger of exalting himself. I'm going to help him. Now how did he do that? Well, not by supernaturally giving him humility that surpassed these temptations. Usually, you might have found this by experience, you pray for humility, what happens? God doesn't just give you humility. He sends trials and difficulties and weakness to where you are so humbled in the dust that you have humility through those things. This is how the Lord was dealing with Paul. He saw there was a need for sanctification in Paul's life. He saw there was a need for Paul to be kept humble. And so what did the Lord do? He sent a thorn in the flesh, a messenger or angel, this could be translated, of Satan to torment him. Now that word also translated literally is beat him. Here Paul's getting beaten down by this angel of Satan. You would think, oh, well, the Lord's definitely going to deal with that. You know, he casts out the demons and he drives away the darkness. But the Lord sent this upon him. This trial, this difficulty, this oppression, this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan to beat him down. Why? To keep Paul from exalting himself in mercy to him. He did it for Paul's own good. Now, what did that really look like in Paul's life? We don't exactly know. Some people think, oh, well, this was the problem he had with his eyes that he talked about. I don't, I don't personally believe that because he's not talking here so much about a physical affliction. He's talking about a messenger of Satan. And what does the devil do to God's people? What does he try to do? Slander God to them? Tempt them to unbelief? Oh, God's not going to do that. He's not going to help that. Bring them to depression, to despair. Bring them to fears and within and troubles without. Stir up others against them and so on. What was Paul's experience by this point in his life? Go back to 2 Corinthians 1 at the very beginning. Verse 8. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Now, is that exactly what Paul is talking about there as the messenger of Satan? I don't think you could conclude yes or no on that. But what we can know and conclude is that Paul had real trials at the hand of God. That God put him in difficulties and in a place where he was beyond his strength. You think, wow, Paul beyond his strength. That had to be something. Every trial God puts you in to humble you, to use you, to bring you 
through to where you are weak and he is strong must by necessity bring you beyond your strength. Because if it doesn't, you're going to rely on your strength. That's our natural inclination. God brought Paul beyond his strength to the point where he despaired even of life. Think of this. You've heard about the Apostle Paul. You're out there in Asia. They say, hey, he's in this city. Oh, great, I can go meet him and hear him preach. And you come upon Paul. say, wow, the mighty Apostle Paul. He says, I don't even want to live anymore. This, This is... This is too much of a burden. I, I'm just, he says elsewhere he's depressed and cast down. I think, oh wow, is this Paul? He's despairing even of life. 2 Corinthians 7, 5 through 6, he describes this here. For when, even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming. Titus. So what was Paul experiencing in Macedonia? He went in there. God moved mightily and established a church over there. He saved many people. But what was Paul's actual experience in the time? He wasn't up on cloud nine. He wasn't in this great spiritual high and have full assurance of all these things. What does he say? We were afflicted on every side. Conflicts without fears within. He was troubled. He was depressed. Verse 6, he says, God who comforts the depressed, comfort us by the coming of Titus. Have you ever thought of the Apostle Paul as wrestling with depression? Well, he did. And he was comforted by others. And just as a side note, you should come to people who are down in that pit over there and try to comfort and help them. Sometimes you might be the agency God uses in that way. But we see a pattern throughout Paul's life and ministry here as he's speaking of some of his missionary travels, of difficulty, of oppression, fears within, troubles, depression. Here's this messenger of Satan beating him down. Here he should be exulting in such great things. Look what the Lord is doing. But instead, he can barely even lift his head up see what God's doing because he's so down in the dirt, it would seem. He's just depressed and despairing even of life. Now, who did that to him? God did that to him. Why? To use him for that, to keep him from exalting himself and so that in his weakness, who would be strong? Christ would be strong. When he was weak, then he was at his strongest. You look what God used Paul to do and we would think in our mind, well, if we met Paul, he'd be ten feet tall, he'd have this booming voice and great boldness and all these things that he'd never fear, he'd charge into the face of danger, always have faith in all these things. But what was Paul actually like? He was in great weakness. He was probably not a man we would exalt in the sense that often we tend to exalt some men. He was weak. He had fears. He was depressed. He was troubled. He was burdened, despairing even of life at times. And probably those with him as well. I mean, if you're following Paul and he's given up, like, oh no, what are we going to do? And then here comes the Lord. In their weakness, what does God do? He works mightily. He works mightily. In 1 Corinthians, this didn't just begin at that stage of his life. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, what does Paul say? I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. 
What do you want to describe your ministry like that? I have an apostolic ministry. I go in weakness and fear and trembling. And I don't preach very well with persuasive words of wisdom. But in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? How? In weakness. Who is made strong? God is made strong. And we are made strong through Him. This was Paul's experience that he's writing of. And what does he say in verse 8? Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. Now, is it wrong to ask God to take this trial away, to take this dark cloud over me away, this depression, this difficulty? It's not wrong to ask Him. Paul asked Him three times. First time was no. Second time was no. He didn't give up. He said, Lord, please take this thing away from me. And what did the Lord say after the third time? Well, He rejected it. Why? Because He knew it was better. He knew it was better for Him to be weak, to be there, and to be afflicted and troubled on all sides. And He reminded Paul of the purpose of it. Verse 9, And He has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Power is perfected in weakness. The carnal man, the world, and probably our own upbringing and logic and reason there would take that and say power is perfected by getting rid of weakness. Right? You've got that saying in the Marines and some martial arts people use it, pain is just weakness leaving the body. Yeah, I used to believe that when I was in high school and training for athletics and so on. Pain is weakness leaving the body. What does the world tell us and what is our natural inclination? Power is perfected by getting rid of weakness. Get, get this away from me. But what does the Lord say? My power is perfected in weakness. My power is perfected when you are at your lowest and weakest and you're a shriveling mass in the corner just curled up praying and crying out. That's when God's power is actually perfected. When you're standing up to go minister to someone and you're in fear and trembling and you think, oh, I don't even know what to say or what to do, there's powers perfected in weakness. You might be strong going into something. I got all the answers. I can boldly preach to this person or answer that guy's question. You might do it, but you probably are accomplishing nothing. It's in weakness that we will be strong. So the Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you. Paul wanted to be at peak strength. He wanted to be at his best top performance. And that's not wrong. And he implored the Lord, take this away from me. Probably thinking, as many of us have thought, Lord, couldn't I serve you better if I didn't have this physical illness or if I didn't have this trial in my life or if I didn't have this problem or something? Wouldn't I have more time and strength and ability to serve you? We might even rightly come to that conclusion. What does the Lord say? Well, I get rid of that, and you're just you're going to be at peak strength. You're going to trust in yourself. Is my grace sufficient for you? When you don't have everything you think you should have or that you need to go serve the Lord, is His grace sufficient for you to do so? That's what He's saying here. He's reminding Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. This is how God works. Now, this is a central truth to God's working. 
God wants us to be what? Totally dependent and cast upon Him. He wants us to be weak and Him to be strong. When man is big, God is small. You have big men out in the religious scene. You have people that we might tend to exalt that maybe don't want to be exalted, but then you have people who might exalt themselves, whether subtly or or not so subtly over there. But when you have great men and you look at what these great men have done, what are you looking at? What they've done in their own strength. When you can look at a man and say, I don't know how in the world that happened because of who this person is, but God must have done something. That's an example of God being big and them being small. When the man is almost forgotten and inconsequential and the focus is on what God has done despite the weakness and the inability of that man, we're more approaching the reality of these verses and what, how it is the Lord works through His people. It was said by Hudson Taylor later on in his life, he's at a conference speaking and a young man came up to him afterwards and was kind of shaking and real excited. He's like, oh, I'm so, I'm so thankful to meet such a great man of God and to hear all the Lord has done through you. And he stopped him and said, young man, there are no great men of God. There are only weak, sinful men who have and serve a great God. Is that our mindset? Or do we exalt others and ourselves and forget who we really are? Are you weak? That's the question at the beginning. I ask that again in the middle and then at the end. Are you weak or are you strong? Who is exalted in what you do? Hudson Taylor also said, quote, God uses men who are weak and feeble enough to lean on Him. Are you weak and feeble enough? You got, I don't know if you still have the track, but you had a track before that said, are you bad enough to become a Christian? And I like that one. I like giving that out down in Corpus Christi when we have it. But are you weak enough to be used of the Lord and to lean upon Him, or are you too strong? Are you still too strong to serve the Lord as you should? Or are you weak enough to serve Him? We see a principle that the Lord states that power is perfected in weakness. Now where do we see the ultimate example of that? On the cross. We see it on the cross. You, you go over to uh, verse 4 in chapter 13. It says, For indeed He was crucified because of weakness, yet He lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in Him, yet we will live with Him because of the power of God directed Toward you. Jesus was fully God, yet he was fully man. In his manhood, he was weak. When he went to the cross, that was the greatest weakness. If you go to Philippians 2, Philippians 2. Starting in verse 5, "...have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even 
death on the cross. For this reason also God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name. So here's the Son of God who has all power and authority on heaven and earth who as they were leading Him away he said to His disciples, don't, don't fight. I have twelve legions of angels. I could take care of this with power if I wanted to. So, but I'm going to deal with it in weakness. Don't fight. Just wait and see what I'm going to do. He went to the cross in weakness. Here is the Creator of the universe with His creation nailing Him to the cross in great weakness. Here the Pharisees come by and they're wagging their heads at Him and mocking Him saying, You who saved others, save yourself. Bring yourself down. We'll believe in you. He's in great weakness. He's hanging They're on the cross in weakness. He's now forsaken of the Father. The wrath of God is poured out upon Him. At what seemed to be the weakest point in redemptive history, here was the Messiah who was supposed to save all His people. And what's happening? Well, now the Messiah is dying. We thought He was supposed to save us. Days later, Jesus comes to them on the road to Emmaus after He's raised. They say, well... Yeah, we're sad because Jesus of Nazareth, He was a prophet, mighty in word and deed. We thought He was the one who was going to deliver us, but, well, He's dead. We don't know what happened to Him. In great weakness, what did God do? He perfected power. He accomplished what no man could have ever done. He accomplished what only God could do for His people through all eternity. He He did on the cross the greatest act of power as God at what seemed to be naturally the weakest point of redemptive history. Now that should say something to us. Here's our Lord in great weakness and what's happening? It's actually the power of God now occurring. We need to take that into our own life as well. And we need to look at that reality, that power is perfected in weakness, as it was with our Lord. At the point when sinful men thought, finally we got rid of this guy, we got rid of this problem, and the devil is probably rejoicing, saying, finally, it's it's the hour of darkness, as Jesus said, we've gotten rid of this chosen one over here, we've got him out of here, we killed him, right when they thought they were at their height of power, and God was at his point of weakness, God turned everything around. When you are at your weakest point, that's probably when God's going to start working. And when He's going to start moving. When He's going to start doing what you could not do. His power is going to be perfected in weakness. He says most gladly, therefore I will rather boast about my weaknesses. I don't think that was supposed to come off. So that the power of Christ may dwell in me. You boast about your weaknesses. Do you look at them and see that this is not actually a bad thing I need to implore the Lord three times to get rid of, but that God is using it, that in this weakness His power is perfected? Paul knew in his weakness, through that the power of Christ would dwell in him. Does the power of Christ dwell within you as one who is weak and dependent and leaning upon the Lord. It's well known that Spurgeon 
You, know, you guys know Charles Spurgeon. Hopefully some of the younger people know who he is and have read some of his sermons there. Charles Spurgeon was known as the Prince of Preachers. He, he preached and had his stuff printed probably more than anybody in the Victorian era and was used mightily of the Lord to save probably hundreds of thousands of people. Yet did you know his whole life he struggled with gout that led him to depression and great physical ailments and pains in his joints and depression on his mind. And there were times he despaired even of life. He didn't even want to go on in the ministry and even want to go on living. God's power was perfected in weakness. Why does God seem to do that to men and women that He's going to use? For the very reason He did it to Paul. To protect them, to safeguard them, and to bring them low from all natural ability and natural strength to where they would cast themselves wholly upon the Lord. So Paul says in verse 10, that knowing this, therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. Can you say today you're well content with where the Lord has you? Can you say today, looking at the troubles in your life, the pain, the difficulties, the darkness, the things you're struggling and wrestling with that bring you weak to where you think, oh, I could just get rid of this, then I could more better serve the Lord. Are you content with those things? You should be. We should be. And you'll enter into that and I think you'll begin to see more the reality of these verses. Many of you are too strong. You need to be weak. And if God in His mercy, He will break you and bring you down. That's what God has been doing in my own life. And I trust He does that by looking at the pattern of Scripture here to all of His children. Are you well content with these weaknesses and distresses and with persecution? Now, we don't have many persecutions now. But that's going to change very quickly in America. Very quickly. Soon... We will be facing persecutions. I don't know. No man knows the extent and severity of it, but the winds are changing here. Will you be content with that? Will you cry out for your rights and privileges to get rid of the persecutions? It was said, I forget who was sharing it with me, I think someone here in the church, that there was an American missionary over with the Chinese and he was praying with them and praying, Lord, would you just give them the same liberties and freedoms that we have in America so they don't have to suffer these things? And the Chinese pastor stopped and said, whoa, 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 hold on. Our church is just fine with where the Lord has us. That God has been using those things for great good in the life of the church. Will we be well content with those things? Not running down the road to make ourselves martyrs and knowing the time when it is right to flee persecution from one city to the next. Will we be content as a church with the things that the Lord is sending to us to weaken us, to strip us down, to bring us in total reliance and dependence upon Him? So what does Paul say at the end of this verse here? For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's when we give up on self, when we see our weakness and our inability and some here have great natural talents and abilities and strength, and God will probably have to bring you even lower than the person sitting next to you. It's when we are brought to the point of weakness, we can look at that and say, now I'm strong. 
Not because I'm strong, because now I'm in total dependence and reliance upon the Lord in these things. Now His power is at work. When I am weak, then I am strong. That's contradictory to how the world would view these these things. But we can say as Christians, we're only strong when we're weak. So are you weak? Then you're going to be strong. Or are you still strong? Are you still holding on to your own strength, your own ability, scheming some way out of this or some way out of that trial or that trouble over there? Or are you well content with weaknesses and insults and distresses? Now I had several examples of that I was going to share, but I think for time and brevity's sake here, I'll just share one. In my own recent experience, we had a abortion clinic in our town in Corpus Christi that had been in operation for about 35 years. Another man in the church who'd started coming had a great burden and desire to go out and reach this abortion clinic and evangelize out there. And we thought, all right, we're going to go and we're going to do it. And we, we went over there and we would go preach. We'd figure out the schedule, the abortions, and we'd try to be there every, he'd go twice a week, about every other week or so. We'd try to be out there when the doctor would come down from the other city and do the abortions and just preach and preach over there. As time went on, Begin to approach that place with fear and trembling. There's great darkness, great oppression around this place. Begin to lose any hope that God is going to do anything over there. Begin to despair that it was even a, a good use of our time. We'd face hostility. At some point, one man came out there and we thought, surely he's going to beat us and throw us out into traffic. And right before he got to us, he turned around walked back in and then he came out weeping after that and repented of the abortion he was about to have with his girlfriend and and so on. At another point, we had a guy flash a gun at us over there and we received death threats online from opposing the work. As things went on, we determined in the spirit of the verse in Ephesians there to have nothing to do with the works of darkness, but instead even expose them to expose some of the things that the clinic was doing and their uh, unknown, to that point, relationship with the local Catholic church and bring that out into the open. And that caused a firestorm in our city over there. And at that time, everyone in the church was under a great cloud of darkness. There were troubles. There were problems right in coinciding with that season over there. Everyone was down, depressed, under a cloud. We were ready to give up. One Friday, we went out there preaching over there and just thinking, Lord, it's like marching around the walls of Jericho. We're doing nothing. We didn't see anything moving. Nothing seemed to be changing. We're just out there marching around. The, not literally marching around. We'd stay in one place. But with that idea over there, here we're just going around and thinks, what good is this? What good is just preaching to them? Or shouldn't we try to get the laws changed or do this or whatever? I remember that period was a, a dark period. That weekend was just wrestling with depression and darkness, a great cloud, and Monday came around and just wanting to give up on the whole thing and thinking, it's not even worth it, Lord. What are we doing with this all? And then I got the news that the abortion clinic was closed permanently and the doctor had resigned and given up that Monday. And I had a great joy. And then the darkness came back in (laughs) and the despair and all these things. It was not when we were strong and well-organized. It was just two or three people going down there to tackle this thing. 
We saw the Lord work in a way we didn't think was possible. We saw the Lord shut that place down. We saw Him bring some people out of there. And it wasn't in strength. It wasn't great. We tried to bring people down to help who were, in our view, better suited for it. But in weakness, we saw God was strong. It greatly encouraged the church down there. And we could see that in our own life. Now that's that's one example. Another just maybe closer to home with your children. You ever come to the point, your your child, you're disciplining them, you're teaching them, they keep doing the same thing over and over and over, and you just think, Lord, I'm so weak, I can't do anything, I can't even parent this child right, I can't, everything I do is just bringing me to the end of myself with trying to teach this child and discipline this child, and then you cry out to the Lord and ask, Lord, will you help with this? And you realize you hadn't done that before. You were just trying in your own parenting and your own abilities to do this and to do that. Well, if I just take away this thing from their life or if I add this thing to their life or just try to be more consistent in there, that's going to deal with it. That won't do it. The Lord is going to be your strength in those things. My wife's experienced that. She's come to the end of herself parenting many times and that was when finally the Lord intervened in the child's life and dealt with these particular sins or habits over there. So, are you weak? And are you well content with weakness? We're just weak people who have a mighty God. If we think others around us are mighty, especially this is a snare many young believers will fall into. You'll look at an older saint or you look at you know someone like Paul Washer or Charles here and you think, man, if I could be that strong and bold someday and and whatever, you fill in the blanks in your mind. You don't understand what these verses mean. You don't understand who you are, who man is. We're weak, brethren. We are very weak. But God is the one who is strong. Set your eyes upon Him. Look to Him. You would rather boast about your weakness so that the power of Christ would dwell in you. That's all I have to share this morning here. But we pray. Lord, I do pray. I thank You for the privilege to be here and just share something of Your Word and that which You have dealt with me on over the last years here. And Father, I just do pray that many would enter into this reality, Lord, that they would be weak, that You, O oh God, would be strong in their life. I do pray, Father, that we would be well content. I know there are some with great trials and distresses and weaknesses here. That they would see Your kind and sovereign hand in those things, Lord. To guard them, to keep them, and to bring them weak. That they might lean upon You in entire dependence. Lord, I do thank You in these things. And pray that we would walk in this reality all the more in the years ahead. pray in Jesus' name. Amen.